Aloha! This is Dr. T. And I'm listening to Sci Fi Saturday Night. I'm glad to hear that you are too. from the pseudo-habitat and virtual studio deep in our underground living quarters. We're proud to present the Morva Universe and audio drama retrospective featuring the voice talents of Robert Penn Warren, tennis great Rod Laver, and once again the lovely Esther Williams, Soggy again. Welcome to TalkCast 290 in this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Enjoying a mild earache from technical overloads and caffeine withdrawal, I am the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, some of the gang of four... Um, some of us are once again taking too many sick days, and we'll be talking to HR about this later. In the Revere Time Vortex, our technical anarchist, for those of us uninformed peasants, she enjoys pushing people's virtual buttons. It's our own girl genius, Kriana. Virtual, digital, analog, and physical. From the stacks of her personal space in the Dank Dungeons Industrial Trailer Park and Clone Garden, this week featuring unsalted D's nuts in the gift shop. Perfect for the coming political season or as an after-school snack, it's the Sombrarian. I have nothing witty to say today. Perfect. Back from his Pixar internship, a returning correspondent, having spent the past 14 weeks undercover at the Bradley Cooper Take a Pill Foundation, Master of Minor Surgery, it's Awake by Java. Fuck you, I was, I was Rapunzel's prince. <laughs> oh no, we are not going back to that discussion. Some of the times the discussion we have before we flip the switch are interesting, other times it's just us shouting at each other, and that's kind of what it was this time. Anyway... Our guest this week. Oh, thank you for dropping that in. Um, our guest. No one knows what you're talking about. Yes, I know. We have a back chat channel sitting sitting where we can all like drop stuff in that we want to talk about, and somebody just dropped an animated GIF into it. Thank you so much. Our guest tonight from Games by Playdate. Glenn Given, who we met at uh, GraniteCon. Glenn, welcome to the show. Oh, hey, I thought I was supposed to mute my microphone. Hi. You're well, allowed to unmute once he says your name. Well, well, okay. That's one of the unwritten rules that we did not tell you about before the show. There were a lot cool. of things we didn't tell you about, and we'll yeah. make fun of you as we go along. Yeah, with you. You, don't, you don't know anything. You're like a noob. Perfect. Games by Playdate is it kind of like a, a games commune cooperative of people who do... Filthy hippies! I mean, what? <clears throat> Hi. And uh, we walked past the booth at Granicon a couple of times, talked to him a couple of times, and went, well, this may be an interesting interview, so we're going to give it a try and see what we can do. We'll be talking more about Games by Playdate later on in the show. But first, 
the news. If you say one word about how good that was, I swear to ever-loving sweet baby Jesus in his manger. What, what do you swear? Swaddled in whisper silk that I will end you in my pretty floral vomit. <clears throat> that being the case, Kriana has the most interesting news of the week. I got this nothing. Week. I got, I got no, no, it's right down there in the damn thigh. I know, but it was really for you, so you're the one who likes that sort of thing, so I think you should talk about it. I am kind of the one who likes that sort of thing. Uh, all, all for, for a couple of reasons. Um, Betty and Barney Hill are the first, quote, uh, UFO abductees uh, in an incident that occurred in, in 1961 in uh, Exeter, New Hampshire, or actually just outside of Exeter, New Hampshire, which is about 20 miles from uh, where I live here in Area 51, uh, which makes no geographical sense, but that's all of their story. And I've always kind of, uh, since I was uh, a young child, obsessed with the whole Betty and Barney Hill story, and that's kind of what got me involved with science fiction, that, and, uh, well, a couple of other things <laughs> that we don't have to talk about at all. There was, in uh, 1975, a TV movie made about them called The UFO Incident that starred a very incredibly young James Earl Jones and Estelle Parsons, and it was, it, it was a movie. It wasn't, it wasn't all that terribly great, but it was as factual as they could make it. It turns out, that uh, Gotham Principal is one of the companies that produced the Maze Runner films, has just partnered to adapt a new book, actually not a new book, but a book that came out in 2007 called Captured, uh, uh, about the Betty Barney Hill incident, and turn it into uh, a new retelling of their story. Uh, what Kriana brought to my attention was that the book Captured is a uh, book that is written by two people who have been on the show and actually talked about that show, uh, Dr. Stanton Freeman and Kathleen Marsden. Uh, Kathleen, who is, who is the niece of Betty Hill, and Stanton Friedman, who is, was originally part of Project Blue Book, I believe, uh, and then kind of stepped away from them and said, you guys aren't telling the truth. And as I'm a nuclear physicist, uh, I'm seeing some flaws in what it is that you're doing, and we're not talking anymore. So there's the new movie is coming out within the next year. And nobody else has anything to say about it, eh? Not one thing. Nope. <laughs> Java I have so little to say I that I forgot don't. to unmute my microphone. I have absolutely no. I I have no re response. I actually, I think I drifted off to sleep while you were talking about it. Soothing man voice. Yeah. <clears throat> and where would we like to go from here, ladies and gentlemen? Um, um, Java's in charge of that. So, uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the Java's had a tough week. Okay, is, so from something that only Dome is interested in to something only Zombarian is interested in, 
I will tell you guys a long story. Wow. Does it begin? Java figures out what his news is. What? It does begin with there was a robot. No, actually, it doesn't. So one of my favorite books that I've ever gotten as an advanced reader copy um, was called is called Poop Happened, a history, and it's like a history of people going to the bathroom. So you oh learn okay. some really, really phenomenally interesting but gross stuff in it. Like Versailles did not have enough bathrooms to support the number of people who lived there. So most people just kind of went behind pillars and copped a squat. Um, or, you know, there's also other interesting stuff, but that one was the most relevant because J.K. Rowling has finally told us what happened before the wizarding community adopted modern plumbing, um, which was you went where you stood if you were a wizard and then you vanished it. And the internet is freaking out. I am not because that's what I figured happened. Um, but that might just be because I am a nerd in two aspects there. So I think what's going to happen tonight is everybody's going to talk about a story and nobody else is going to say a word. And there's going to be dead silence. Dead silence there's, after each story. There's also nothing to say about Zombrarian's thing. Yeah. I could tell you more interesting facts about, um, a real, true interesting facts about human toileting habits. But if you wanted. No. no I, I really don't. Uh, can we put that one to a vote? Mm. No voting. There's no voting live on the air. Okay. Either well, keep going, or I'm going to tell you another fun fact. About Java, find something to say quick. Um. So speaking of poop, <laughs> Ridley Ridley Scott is making more Prometheus prequels. Did, was that first Prometheus prequel? Not bad enough. I, uh, I, I really don't care about Ridley Scott or Prometheus. I think Ridley Scott is it can be when he's properly harnessed a, a decent writer and director, but and it when you have a time machine to go back twenty years, maybe. But the, I mean, God, Prometheus was just not good, and now seriously, he's thinking three more of them. Well, I mean, this is what you do when you hit upon something that makes money. You keep doing it until it stops making money. That's just business, right? So that's why that's why we have to um, put up with an ungodly amount of Marvel movies that are all vaguely connected to each other, so that they can sell more crap. Um, and and we buy it. you guys are all really, really bitter. I mean. <laughs> Like, I'm super cynical, but yeah, Ridley Scott's not great, and he's definitely was better 20 years ago. That's true. But at the least worst Marvel movie is still watchable. And oh, absolutely. Soldier is genuinely good. Have you seen the Hulk? <laughs> the first it's one or the true. second? 
Either. Either one of them, actually. It, does, it, it does not matter. No, the second one is... I actually dig the second one. Um, second one is like, better than the first. I like how they handled the abomination, and uh, William Hurt is um, always fun to watch. If you That can being say, said, I haven't subjected oh. myself to either of them. Kriana! Well, I haven't. No, you're right. Kriana well, also thoroughly in. enjoys the Thor movies. Well, just yeah, to that's for totally different reasons. Thor movies are great. They're super dumb. It's, yeah, yeah, they are, but they're wonderful. And, they're dumb and, and wonderful. And we have talked that, many times on the show about the fact that a movie does not have to be good to be enjoyable. Yeah, they can't all be like Fury Road. Uh, did you guys see? Did you see Ant Man? No, I haven't seen that yet. Thank you. Yeah. I have a phobia, and I couldn't even watch the previews for Ant-Man. I went into Ant-Man with lower expectations, because I was a little unsure of it. Yeah. It's genuinely fun. Cool. It's, it, it's funny. It's a heist movie. It's got a really good joke about uh, the band The Cure that just comes right out of left field and blew me away. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a solid flick, man. Yeah, you're way more positive than us tonight, Glenn. I think that you should do the news. Tonight? Let's try ever. Usually, well. I try to be very much an optimist, but looking at the news from this past week, you know what it is. Here's what it is. Anything in science fiction news that isn't about Doctor Who right now is just, like, Drag. begging you to read it because everybody's talking about Doctor Who stuff pretty much constantly on on the genre um, sites. So, And that's understandable because the first episode aired this past weekend. I haven't watched it yet because, you know, now I have things. So, Well, wait, just before you get into this, Java, apparently you and I, you don't know this, but I've been told that we are supposed to apologize to everyone for the fact that last week we argued for way too long about Doctor Who and we bored everyone and everyone was really mad at us. Actually, no. All that was said was that we should really try to get to the guest's actual shit on time this week. Please. Thanks. Bye. No, there were some demands for apologies after no. the show. I, well, I didn't hear that. I don't apologize. I, I hung up too fast. Notice I didn't actually apologize. I'm just saying that we were. Why supposed. are we still talking about this? All right, let's talk about something else. <laughs> Who brought it up? I don't know. There's okay. So Doctor Who news in two seconds. Uh, Jenna Coleman is not going to continue on Doctor Who indefinitely. She's leaving. And also, what? Sherlock and Doctor Who are not going to do a crossover episode because that would be super lame because Sherlock is better than Doctor Who right is, now. Is she right? leaving because she wants to be on a good show? <laughs> uh, Wait, now you're too negative? Come on. Okay. Oh, no. Doctor Who's the worst. It's been on for me... 50 years and it never should have been on for one. It is a nonsense show where uh, it's boring and horrible and I, I I have nothing but negative things to say about every single Doctor Who. And the, the last one had a really that, weird face. The only place that Sherlock and Doctor Who should exist in the same universe is in well-written fan fiction, which does so exist, Dome, shut up. <laughs> I can't, wow. I can't, take, I can't take that seriously. Um, I didn't either, so we're moving on from that one real so quick. So there's, there's this um, book that came out in 1987 called Weave World, and it's basically Magic Kingdom for Sale sold, but darker. 
It's <gasps> Clive Barker. That's one of my favorite Clive Barker novels. Right. And um, it's being made into a television series. So Yeah, but it, it's by the CW. Yeah, how are they going to have the, the evil lady attack people with her menstruation? Because that That's, was like what she did. It's it. They're not. They're not giving us any information. Okay, good. That'll be interesting to see the CW do that. Hey, I like the Flash. So Actually, the CW has long been considered the place for teen girl shows. So, really, a frank discussion of menstruation would be welcome. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Java, you've got to get used to talking about this. You've got daughters. I have no problems with menstruation or having conversations about thus. <laughs> this type of thing does not at all bother me. My, and my students get really uh, up, like uncomfortable when something comes up about sex in a book because they start giggling. And I'm like, oh, okay, you want to talk about this? Let's talk about this. Uh, that's the one thing they don't want to do. So, no, I'm not worried about that i am worried about the cw making a mediocre show we've talked Again. about this before though the cw has good sci-fi shows and That's has a some. good history with sci-fi shows so it's it's the just flash it's, is a really good show the flash yeah. is the flash is. and arrow are and and you know the history is great supernatural that, is a cw show isn't it yeah. There you go. There's there's it's not going to last. All things come to an end. Um <clears throat> you know they just finished like season ten, right? Yeah. No, but you do realize that for every really good show like The Flash or, or uh They do like three shows that really, really suck. Really, really bite the big Yeah, one. but that's just T V, man. Yeah. Like, we're in like the golden that. age of television and and there's so many more scripted shows being made this upcoming year than ever before. There's going to be crap, but that's how you get the good stuff. Ninety percent of everything is shit. That's the whole point of it. Also the CW is the home of um, Pretty Little Liars, which while it's not designed to appeal to me, it's the people who are the demographics seem to really enjoy it. I'm just uh, I'm saying not, I know, that but just I'm not because sure that's something doesn't appeal reason. to you doesn't make it a crap show. That's a good, very good point. Being able to appreciate yes, something that other people like. I mean, except for Doctor Who. But being able to appreciate stuff that other people like is Super important to being an adult. Can, can I just Doctor can Who I just say one look word? At Doctor Who is a sci-fi as a sci-fi show. Can, can I just say one word though? No. Smallville. Okay, but that's different. That does not count. The hours Smallville of joy. So Wait though. Wait, because think about the hours of joy we have taken from Smallville and our ability to mock Illustrator X. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. That's made it all worth it. It's made it all worth it. And just like uh, Lois and Clark, there are it it, oh it succeeded at what it was aiming to do. So you, you got to give a little bit of respect for that, even if it's not your bag. I mean, it was meant to be kind of cheesy and campy and like Veronica Marsy, and uh, it, that happened for sure. It has some good episodes. I can't name any of them, but I'm sure it does. And I hate Superman, and I still liked Lois and Clark. Yeah, it's like, you know, the 90s. It is the 100% a product of the 90s. 
Smallville, though, no, was no. not. No, Smallville was, was just a reason to, to, to rip on Illustrator X for five years. And it was, it was so much fun, wasn't it? So, if there hadn't been... A Smallville, we couldn't have done what it. Could, what would we have done? Uh, you're right. Unfortunately, when you're right, you're right. Hey, uh, right. no, you're not always right. Uh-huh. was a robot, and I'm just saying. Yeah, but I was right. There was a robot. If you check out storybundle.com this week, uh, they open up a, a, a new bundle, which is the Philip K. Dick Award Bundle, collection of 11 Philip K. Dick Award winners and finalists, uh, which was curated by Lisa Mason, who is one of the five judges for the 2016 award. And uh, the book is amazing. The books are amazing. Just some really, really uh, 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 Dark Seeker by uh, K.W. Jeter and Decipher. Uh, I've read like half the books in here, and I'm buying the bundle again anyway because it's just some really, really good stuff. Some by authors you know, many by independent authors you've not heard of before, but just amazing fiction. Uh, All Philip K. Dick finalists or winners, and uh, check it out. Are they just the finalists and winners from this year, or is it across? No, it's just from this year, year which is incredible that there were just so many of them. The, um, what are your thoughts about the uh, Man in the High Castle Netflix series? We talked about that briefly last week. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I am too. I feel like Philip K. Dick adaptations usually go better than people expect them to. Yeah, what was the what was the Matt Damon one with the everybody's wearing a fedora? So okay, didn't, you just said the magic word where we hang up on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Mark Wahlberg. Oh well, him too, actually. Marky Mark, Marky Mark's cousin, Marky Mark's cousin. That was the Justice Bureau, wasn't it? Huh? Yeah, it was yeah. the Adjustment Bureau. Not yeah. a bad flick. But nothing, the book wasn't... Let's all agree to never call movies flicks. Oh, back off. Can we just do that right now? Like yeah, you in the face. That's right. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll agree to that when I stop calling girls dames. <laughs> Good to know. Right, are, are we done making old jokes at my expense? I don't yeah. think so. Never. Hey, look at the gams on that dame. There we go. Nice. 23 skidoo. Hey, speaking of Marky Mark and Matt Damon. (laughs) There's a segue I never wanted to hear. Go on. So this is really not something we would normally cover for news. But But. there's a hilarious viral video going around of a guy from Boston who thinks he caught a sea monster. It turns out that it's a sunfish. But it's (laughs) hilarious. Because of how Boston this guy is. And I'm just going to leave the link in the show notes and you guys can go look at it. And also, anyone who is going to be doing a Boston accent for anything needs to study this like crazy. Otherwise, don't do a Boston accent. Because seriously, if you don't know how to do it, it's fucking annoying. Especially to people from the area. Yeah, and I get that it's hard. I get it. Like, 
but just don't do it, because there's plenty of people from Boston who don't actually have a Boston accent. The end. Love Zeppelin. Or who just live around here and don't have a Boston accent. Or who can fake it better than you. Yes. Just saying. The end. Love Zombarian. And Marky Mark and Matt Damon. <laughs> We're together on this. And now I have to hang up on you. You have to hang up on her now, too? Yeah, I guess you do, actually. She invoked both of them. She did evoke both of them. I'll take it. Invoke, not evoke. If she evoked them, that would be even more disturbing. It really would be. (laughs) So, DC Comics this week, uh, in order to cash in on... And now I have to hang up on you. (laughs) In order to cash in on the premiere of... uh, Supergirl, which, by the way, if you haven't seen the viral premiere episode, uh, you clearly don't know what the hell you're doing in the world, uh, and which, by the way, is also really damn good. So they rushed out a Supergirl comic supposedly aligned with the storyline of the premiere episode for a buck, and then went literally to every place who promoted it and said, but don't think the rest of them are going to be a buck. Just this one. Well, they do ninety nine cents. They do ninety nine cents all the time nowadays. Um, oh yeah, I know. Usually, I, it's like first uh, first issue reprints of anything that turned out to be popular. <laughs> it's not a sin, you know. No, no, it's not a sin. It's just the way, you know, they bite their own head off all the time with just ridiculous comments like. But don't expect the rest of them to be. Who did? Yeah, that is really dumb. Here's my other thing with DC. They've known for how long that the first episode went viral. They've known for how long that this show was coming. Why did they have to rush to produce a comic book for it? Because they weren't thinking. Because they don't think girls read comics. Or, or girls look for role models in comics. They yeah, clearly no. don't ever no do one's that. Gonna buy, no one's going to buy a comic about a girl dumb. Jesus. Evidently oh, not. Wait a minute. I miss Sarah. <laughs> I mean, like... Sir just, Sarah would be sarcastic and angry with me right now. Yes, she would. Oh, Lord. Any place else we need to go, kids? I feel like, did we talk about Gotham yet? I didn't see anything about Gotham No, no one saw it, so. I haven't watched it yet. I've got it. It's ready to go. We've got a a news thing for it, but. Oh, yeah. Well, that was just uh, uh, something that I happened to see the other day about uh, a a great story arc in the comic about uh, the Court of Owls, which was the which, if you mispronounce it, can be a whole lot of other things, um, is the elders of Gotham who are like, the they run it behind the scenes and have done it since the time of, of Bruce Wayne's father. Uh, and that storyline they're saying is going to be headed toward to the TV series. And frankly, the storyline in the comic is, re- is a really good storyline. And isn't there some uh, crossover with other superheroes in that storyline? There is. There is. Uh, Do you think we're going to see those other superheroes as babies? I don't. 
Like, now they're, they're bringing in a lot of the villains and stuff, though. I th- the DC has put a really hard line between their movie properties and their TV properties, and right. never letting them cross over. Yeah. So, like, they'll always be talking about uh, Supergirl's cousin, but it won't be the movie Superman. Right. Which is probably and good, because their TV series have been better than their movies. TV series have been significantly better all along. Yeah. Well, uh, and the Court of Owls is a new is a new Batman villain. Right. It, it's a new it's a new secret. It's just it's a new, new story, feature, right? Yeah. It's yeah, like, it's something that they haven't done to death yet. Well, and, and it also and, is really appropriate for Gotham because, as a prequel setting, the whole point of the Court of Owls is that they've been around for so long. Exactly. So that really is a surprisingly good decision on their part. And who, who would have thought DC could make a good decision? In this case, questionably, they might have. <laughs> okay, but Baby Bruce and Baby Selena's first date was also adorable. Let us never. Take that away from Gotham. Okay. If you say I so. just ended that conversation. Yeah, you, you did, because I've yeah. got to tell you, I've I, seen maybe two episodes of it, maybe. And I kind of think the kids you, are the worst part of that show. Don't, don't, you would love it. You really would. You will be as in love with Harvey Dent as I am. So here's what's going to happen with me, then. When Lost Girl Season 5 ends... I'll probably just sit over a weekend and watch the entire season one and see what I think. Well, you could come to our house and do it because we have you have it all Netflix. Yeah, I know. And you and I can hang out and watch Gotham, and Kriana can go sulk in the other room or something. Or something. <laughs> all right, maybe we'll do that. that Yay! That's, fun that's time. And there you go. Perfect. <sighs> and, and that last thing, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to let that sit there. I'm not even concerned about that. There's there's a new show. Uh, I thought we were letting it sit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You let know what? Sit. Boom. Let it sit. We're moving on. We're moving on. Uh, when we were at uh, Granite Con a couple of weeks back now at this point, um, we, we bumped into Glenn at his table at Games by Playdate, and we just kind of, I walked past once and I went, Games by Playdate is the weirdest name I've ever heard. Uh, and then we looked again, and then actually it was Booking Monkey who brought me over and said, I just bought this game. It's really cool. And I went, okay, let's go check it out. And Glenn and I talked for a while, and I said, all right, let's get on the show so we can talk about it. Glenn Given from Games by Playdate, who's been talking through with us during the entire news segment. Anyway, welcome. Hi. I'm glad to still be here. Yeah, me too. We almost both got thrown off of those Marky Mark stuff, but that's a whole other story. So <laughs> talk to me a little bit about Games by Playdate. How did so, you... Go ahead. Games by Playdate was uh, is a uh, a for profit business that actually came out of a non profit idea that I had been working on a few years ago, where um, since I live in the woods of New Hampshire, I and I'm addicted to buying board games and and card games and stuff. That was kind of like my midlife crisis. Was instead of getting a Ferrari 
and hand jobs from women I don't know. Uh, I just went and got all these board games. So what I do is uh, oh, I take God. them to libraries and schools, uh, and I teach kids how to play complicated, nerdy games. Um, the idea really being that a lot of the New Hampshire school system is really uh, terrible and uh, does a lot of teaching. <laughs> to the no way, really? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, I never had first-hand experience with that. All right, Brianna, that's enough. So they, they do a lot of, like, teaching to the test, um, and my wife is... A uh, lot? Do you mean exclusively? Yeah, and that's a real problem, because, you know, like, if you really want to grow uh, intelligence, you need to teach kind of second-order thinking, things like synthesis and analysis, and, and those are exactly the things that analog gaming uh, excels at exercising and kind of tricks you into doing it. So... I have this huge collection. I load, would load it up into my car and bring it to these libraries and, and schools and stuff and then teach kids how to play. And and then out of that, um, I got together with a friend of uh, mine who was a former co-worker of mine, Dan Bryan, and um, an older friend, Meg McGinley, who uh, used to be on the podcast. She used to be doing the Brilliant Gameologist. I don't know if you guys ever had heard that. Um, there were any winning podcast, But... Uh, we started this... Unlike us, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. Uh, so we started the for-profit company um, because we all wanted to make stuff and never have to listen to anybody else telling us what to do with it. Um, and so we took the Playdate name, which was the name of the non-profit thing, and then we started making games, so it became Games by Playdate. And then we made this game Slash, but that's slightly different story so what do you think i mean you've clearly catering to a genre that has lately seen a resurgence the the board game the multiplayer game that doesn't need a computer to make it happen uh games like uh tracy hickman's sojourner tales or or exploding kittens which is just or or uh oh god what's uh What's that other card game that now I can't think of? Uh, well, okay. Exploding Kittens is terrible. But that's... <laughs> <laughs> but funner the than reason it's terrible is because it used to be a game called We Didn't Play Test This at All, um, which was a fine game. And then the guy from the oatmeal kind of took it and, and, and made... Anyway, I'm going to get sued. So... Um, yeah, Let's not but, do that if, it, if it's an all so, so analog games over the past 10 years, um, if you talk to some people, they say, we're, just like we, we have been in a golden age of television, um, we are in a golden age of, of, of board gaming. There's been this huge resurgence of, uh, you know, like D&D became like hipstery cool again. Uh, and then all the Euro games started to come over eight or nine years and become like on like shelves in Target where you could get Settlers of Catan and uh, Ticket to Ride and all those heavier, weird, like, German games. Um, and then there started to be more and more development in America of people of people creating stuff. Bigger companies like uh, Wizards of the Coast and Fantasy Flight Games just started to see more and more success. My personal opinion as to why it happened um, is because, and, and I'm not a Luddite by any stretch of the imagination, um, I think that we are very inundated with a lot of really amazing technology that allows us to do a lot of things. It allows us to be friends with a lot of people at a distance. Um, 
but that has a way of crowding out actual human interaction with people. Um, I mean, I'm talking to you now over the internet and I play video games over the internet or through my TV, but there is something about being in the presence of another human being um, that even when you're a little kid, you want to play a game next, even if you're not playing with another person, you want to play in the same room as the other person. Like there is th- that presence. You mean the same chat room, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, so. I, I, I don't understand this. Board games and card games, the reason they've started to become popular, again, is because it's a really easy way for people to schedule discrete amounts of personal time with other people, right? So it's not some sprawling evening. We don't know what the hell we're going to do. It's we're going to we're gonna get together maybe like Saturday afternoon. We're going to play like magic cards for an hour and a half or something. Or like we're going to go to brunch and play Netrunner or whatever, like that. It allows you to fit that human contact into a life that increasingly tries to make you um, independent from that. I don't know if that's too philosophical, but that's no, not at all, not at all, not at all. So that that's part of the reason that you've brought these things together. So let's talk about some of the games that are at Games by Play Day. Yeah. We do a couple of different things. Um, First off, everything we do is Creative Commons licensed um, because I'm a communist. Uh, I'm like a communist capitalist. Like, I'm a communist who loves money. Is it possible to be that? Uh, So, like... You're a capitalist communist. Sure. So that's kind. Uh, Like a social democrat. Um, The... All the stuff we do, we make it and we give it away because I'd rather have people playing it than than being upset that they can't afford it um and frankly you know in all honesty the the one of the great things about board games is that they are by their very nature um virally marketed so you can't play a board game without sharing it with another person like you can with a video game so every time you're playing it you're advertising it on behalf of the person who makes the game, provided that they've made a good game. So that's really a really amazing, um, weird advertising angle that only board games and card games have. Uh, so I got a little off track. But <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's one of the reasons why we give all the stuff away for free, because it is a marketing tactic, and I'm not above, above saying that. You know, we are super lefty, and copy left about it, but also it gets my name out there. It gets our ideas out there. And it also keeps pressure on us as creators to continually develop new things. So we try, uh, you know, there are, there are like manic depressive periods of our creativity where, where we will pump out a new game uh, every month for like half a year and just like give it away. And they probably don't work a hundred percent. They're probably weird stillborn ideas but then some of them uh take off and they become really uh fleshed out and we really run with them and do like large print runs on them and you know sell them at conventions or direct through our website or through distributors on amazon that kind of stuff um other ones i might make i have a i have a steampunk mexico war game that i made one copy of it cost like eight hundred dollars to make the prototype we never finished playing a single game of it. <laughs> but that's the cool thing about having a business that can that can like pay for itself is that sometimes you get to do stupid things like that. 
So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good game. <laughs> it's just unfinishable. No, it's, well, it's finished. It has, like, an economic problem with it. Like, the, there's a, it's, um... It's a combination of earlier board games that I really enjoyed as a kid. Uh, there's, um, I grew up on like the, I think it's Avalon Hill series of board games, like Axis and Allies and Shogun and Fortress America. These are these huge $60 big box games that I used to play with my half-brother. Um, and so I wanted to make a big tactical strategy war game. And then I really liked the post- uh, what is it? The post Civil War period in Mexico is really neat because it becomes a monarchy again for like five years. So this has this historically weird angle. Um, I always like Zorro and things like that. So like that era of Mexico seemed really cool. And I thought it'd be a perfect fit for steampunk if there was a world where like tequila was a super fuel because it is for me. Um, so <laughs> so then we made that. Yeah, but that's just what well, I mean. That's one game we have. A lot of bad ideas <clears throat> that we've been selling people. <laughs> a lot of bad ideas. Hmm. Well, yeah, just like, you know, there's 400 upcoming scripted television shows. If, if you keep making stuff, eventually you make good things. Um, some people like to, and you'll find this a lot in, in board games, because there's something about the, um, it's something about the, the genre or the media that there is a quiet armchair general attitude or armchair philosophy attitude among a lot of designers where they will um, ruminate about their creation over and over and over and obsess over it for years and, and never put it down, never make anything with it. You know, like if you can imagine having a, a book where instead of writing the book, you create the entire world in your head and you think, I I know everything that happens in this world, but, but you haven't put in any damn words on the page. Um, that happens a lot in, in among board game creators. They're, they're very, af usually very afraid to create prototypes because it's like, they don't want their precious baby to be called ugly, but you got to have lots of ugly babies all the time. Um, and a lot of them are going to die. This is a terrible metaphor. It's a horrible metaphor, but you're doing fine. But it's, yeah, <laughs> it's really how it is. Like you've got to, you've got to churn stuff out. You got to get to prototype really, really quick. Uh, cause you're going to find all the problems in your, in your design. Um, when you only, when you do a prototype, like there's just something like having that rubber meet the road of other people engaging in your creation will will teach you so much more than all of your thinking about it ever can. And plus you find it really quick, whether it's fun or if you only thought it was going to be fun. Um, so, yeah. so how does, how does that work for you then? I mean, you, you have this, this community that supports you by buying these games and, yeah. and you put one up and it just, it's like, yeah, well, we tried this. It's not real good. Give it a shot. See what you think. Yeah, we did that. We made this, um, <laughs> yeah, that, like, that's happened. We got really excited about this game called Safe Words, which was a, which was a card game about BDSM. And so the idea of the game was that it was a two-player cooperative game where, where um, uh, one person is uh, the, the dom and one person is the sub, and you had to, like, take the cards and align them in specific ways. And it was this great idea 
of like creating it was like a word game with this spatial element to it and it seemed so perfect and so elegant i started to pay illustrators to 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 create illustrations for it and then we we made a prototype of it and put it on the table and it was the worst and it just didn't work at all it just completely fell apart the very first time we tried to play it uh and we had spent like two weeks all of us talking back and forth about how great of an idea it was. We played it one evening. We're like, all right, this this idea is done. I don't want to do this anymore. This is no, this isn't gonna fly. So um, so yeah, I mean that happens. Uh, it happens a lot. But that's that's one of the reasons why you have to create as fast as possible. Because it's so just like you can't play a game without other people. You can't you can't think of all the ways to it look just like you can't copy edit yourself when you're a writer you can't test your own game because you're gonna only you're gonna play it the way that you designed it to be played or you're gonna know how to play the game um uh but it could be completely unclear to other people which is super unsatisfying uh for them so like when I, i'll sit down at a table with a game that i've created and playing it with new people, and they'll just be asking me these questions that I think, well, that's completely solved. I know exactly how to do that. But because I didn't put it in any rules or didn't explain it to them, I realized that I've I've completely been a terrible host. Uh, and asked, you know, like imagine if you started playing football and no one told you the how many downs there were in. in a football. <laughs> you guys are huge football fans, right? Yeah. Anyway, so um, some of us yeah. might actually be okay. So, good. All right. So here's here's the question. What is the favorite game you've ever made? What's your favorite? Um, yeah, that's... Uh, so, I guess there's maybe more than one answer. Uh, the, I mean, the, our, our biggest game, our most loved game, is one that I hold really dear, which is this game uh, we created called Slash, which is a game about creating fan fiction romances uh between characters so it's um it's like a party game like apples to apples z where you take two care you take a character and then everyone else will try and pick who the best date is for that character or um because we're really big fans of um we're really big fans of story games things like fiasco or um our last best hope which you guys would love because it's a sci-fi uh it's a collaborative sci-fi role-playing game about science fiction disaster movies and it's great anyway just check it out okay cool so um so we love story games and we love party games the problem with party games is that party games you can only play them so many times before they become really boring right because it's the same joke over and over and over again and the problem with story games is that like you not always have four hours to sit down and run through this elaborate dramatic story so we want to make something where you could like improv, like, you know, come up with flash fiction stories, you know, and you'd have these cards and it would spur your imagination to create these narratives, just like two or three sentences about where, uh, uh, where Batman and Optimus Prime are going to go on their honeymoon, um, which is obviously Niagara Falls because the Maiden of the Mist is is a really cool ship to ride on. But, um, so, so we made that, and um, we actually made that at a at a convention where we had all rented out a house uh, for PAX uh, in Boston, and um, we just had this idea 
Uh, we created it. I, I drove back to New Hampshire from Boston. I printed it because I was working um, as a printer at, at the time. I printed the whole game up myself. Also, if you need to, if you want to make games and, and prototype stuff, it helps to know someone who owns a commercial printer. That's really good. Um, so we printed it and we brought it back to PAX. And then people were trying to buy my one prototype, except for this one lawyer who said that you could never publish it because you're going to get sued. Ha ha. <laughs> That's actually going to be my question. How do you avoid the copyright issues with that? Uh, it's called de minimis usage. So, um, like in Trivial Pursuit, like Batman can be the answer to a question, right? Because it's like you're defining the character. So um, you're not you're not you're not um, selling work based off of a, a copyrighted property. So you're not creating like, and this is a big concern in the fan fiction community. Because uh, a lot of people who write fan fiction would like to be able to sell it. Um, and this is why um, also a lot of artists at conventions, like they, you're o they're always drawing copyrighted characters, but right. like technically they shouldn't be. You know, that, so there's this gray zone uh, of what they can and cannot do. This is why a lot of times like in, in, an artist at a show, you can't always buy their work off their website because that's kind of too public for them. But um. So yeah, but because we're we only present these characters in like a in like a definition form, we go like ah, Batman is a he likes to punch dudes in the face. He lives in he lives in Gotham City and he dresses like a weirdo. Um, we're just giving you kind of the facts about the character, a little bit of context, like you would have a dictionary definition of it. And because of that, it, it's not infringing uh, because we're not like selling. Here is the five thousand word Batman story that we wrote. You should pay me. 10 bucks for it. Um, is that, I think that yeah. makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that no, makes that sense. actually does make sense. But so the, 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 the game, okay. The game that I finished that I love the most, there are games that I haven't finished that I love unfathomably, um, but are never going to get done. Like, uh, the game that I finished that I love the most is a, a game called bad habit which is it's a it's a therapy game um so it's a cooperative game about people who commit non-suicidal self-injury uh so people who do self-mutilation or cutting um okay. well, it sounds like a ton of fun Seriously. yeah stay with me it, it is fun it's it's fun engaging not fun funny and it's it's not making fun of any of that in fact the purpose of the game is to show you and all the players, how difficult it is, A, to have that kind of, um, have that kind of an issue, but also to have people who have that issue around you and want to help them, right? Because the inclination when you want to help your friend who's hurting themselves is to grab them and shake them and just tell them to stop because obviously they're doing something self-destructive, but that is you know, according to psychology, actually a really bad thing to do for them because it isolates them, it pressures them, it it embarrasses them, it creates a lot more distress for them. So um, we made this game that was about teaching people how to be empathetic and display patience uh, and to help people heal by recognizing, you know, how they were feeling and uh, helping them kind of lift themselves out of it. Um, and so that's been, 
the reaction I've had to that game has been really amazing because some people pick it up, I explain it to them, and they, like, I can see that they have had a personal experience with this, um, as I have. And they get it, and they're like, this is great, I want to take this to my, you know, like, I, I have a lot of people who have who run different... Um, I don't know, there were like counseling programs and stuff who were like, this is, we, we want to, we want to do something with this. And, and so I love that because I feel like I made something that's not just fun and challenging because it is, but it's something that actually has improved other people's lives. So you've got the games you can buy, certain games of the Creative Commons yep. license. Mm-hmm. You, you actually allow people to download versions that they can print for themselves uh, basically anything that if it if i can put it up in a way that um i can make the components printable then we do and we give it away um some stuff like like our the 800 prototype mexican steampunk war game that's not happening with that one yeah, yeah it's really <laughs> hard to download that and print and play it and um I don't know if anyone would think it was fun anyway, but everything else we do, we, we run a Patreon campaign, uh, to, for these kind of smaller ideas, uh, where we're doing a lot of our rapid prototyping, uh, and all that stuff. Whenever we're creating something on that scale, we always want to make it, uh, easily accessible for people. So, yeah. So we're going to provide links to the website their WordPress, their their Facebook, sure. the Patreon site, the whole thing. Glenn Given, Games by Playdate. Thank you so much, man. This is this is fun stuff. Thank you guys very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Kriana, you're doing double duty tonight because uh, Oh shit. Yes I am. <laughs> Fuck. I knew she wasn't gonna me. remember that. Oh, so Sarah, we miss you my darling. Um so actually the calendar has not been updated either. Actually, um, yes, it has. No. Well, and something's still wrong with the calendar. That's what I'm hearing. Let's There's see. Something's still wrong with your version of it because mine has no. a whole bunch of stuff. No. Coming up next week, Extra Life. No, see, that's what's wrong with the calendar. It's not correct. So we'll just say that next week is a super special sneak peek guest. Oh, there and then is- Extra Life will join us some other time in October. And then on the 10th, we're definitely going to see Madeline Holly Rosing to talk about the Boston Metaphysical Society and her kick-ass Tesla tie pins. And then on the 17th, we're going to talk to the Granite, Escape, the Granite State Escape to figure out who on this show did not escape. Okay, that was me! Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to say that every single night now. Yeah, so... Saturday Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, Rhode Island Comic Con, BostonBooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. This is a comic art house for the best deals and original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on LawrenceMadeMeCry.com. Tonight's intro music provided by Rob Watts. Find more of his creations at RobWattsOnline.com. Joe? I want to thank Glenn Given from Games by Playdate for just basically giving us an overview of how to find a job where you can do the shit you want to do. Good deal. <laughs> <laughs> I, want, I want to thank the cast for joining us tonight from the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the Sandborg Piana, and the wonderful Zombrain, who had a robot and a question tonight. Thank you, ladies. 
something something meat bag. There we go. Back from the shadows into the yogurt. Thank you, Java. Agony, misery, woe. This is Joe saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Dust shall I know.